Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 229 of the podcast. It's the 3rd of June, 2020, as I record this intro. And this week, I have put together a compilation episode focusing on the shift away from using control as a parenting tool and toward connection and engagement with our kids. Though it takes time to put a compilation episode together, I love hearing these clips side by side. I think it can help spark new insights around parenting tools, parent-child relationships, and the kind of parent we want to be. As a personal update, much of my time this week has been spent gardening. Rhubarb, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries. The fruit is new, so I look forward to seeing how it goes. And next up is veggies. Before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Shannon Picard. Hi, Shannon! (laughs) I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it allows me to spend time creating episodes like this each week and to keep the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into this fascinating compilation. Hi, everyone. I've really enjoyed putting this compilation episode together for you. And this time, the lens is on parenting and the shift away from control as a parenting tool. See, often it's reasonably easy to understand why you want to stop using control and punishment, but that's just the first step. You need to replace it with something different, or else you end up creating a vacuum of nothingness that eventually devolves into chaos. In this episode, I've woven together answers from six unschooling parents. This is a bigger question around shifting our parenting paradigm from having control over our children to being in connection with them. So you'll notice the clips are longer too. It's not a quick answer kind of topic, but I think you'll get a lot out of this deep dive. And to get us started, Teresa Graham Brett, unschooling mom and author of Parenting for Social Change, shares her thoughts around this parenting shift. Um, uh, you identify a number of tools that parents can use as they shift from controlling parenting to supportive parenting. And there are three I thought I'd pick out that I'd love for you to touch on. Uh, they are accepting our feelings, mindfulness, and awareness. So I was hoping you could describe what those are and a little bit about how we can shift away from the impulse to control in those areas. Great. You know, I think um, I'll start with the feelings, accepting our feelings. I think Mm -hmm. um, as I really dug in to try to figure out why my first reaction was to control, (laughs) I really had to look and understand that, um, you know, in our, that in my own childhood, and and frankly, for most of us, there 
you know, we're seeing generations now of unschoolers, <laughs> right? Adults mm-hmm. who are now having children and, you know, or who grew up in that way. But the vast majority of us grew up within controlling systems and family structures and relationships. That was just, that's just the way the world has been. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that I realized, my struggle to control, when I was in the need to control, underneath it was really a fear and a feeling of not being safe. That yeah. when things are in control, we feel safe. Oh, it's all under control. We're good. All right. I don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> Yep. Um, how many times have I said that to myself? Still say it. To I know, myself, right? <laughs> okay, everything's under yep. control. I can go do this thing. Um, and and so when I then began to say, well, why is it control equals safety? <laughs> and then I uh, began to understand that we learn lots of messages, and I learned them too in different dynamics in my family. That when when the adults around me were out of control, like they were yelling and upset, I did not feel safe. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. When things were volatile or people got mad about the dishes or whatever it was, I was like, "Ooh, I'm going to go hide because that's easier and it's safer if I'm, you know, and we also get these messages growing up that um, we, uh, you know, about our emotions. So you mentioned this earlier, the emotion that wasn't allowed in my family. This is where it's unique to each person, right? Your own yeah. family experience. The emotion that wasn't allowed in my family was anger. I couldn't express anger. Um, even though all the adults around me expressed a whole lot of anger in not very healthy ways. Of course, I couldn't mm-hmm. express that same anger and sadness, like like neutral and slightly happy were good. Like th- that was the range of yeah. acceptable emotion, not too happy because then that's uncomfortable for my. Parents. Yeah. <laughs> so you could be in this one range. Um, and so what I learned then was to push down feelings of sadness and feelings of anger. And because the adults around me, when they expressed anger, it wasn't safe. It was a volatile situation. What I learned then is anger results in harm. So my own anger became my enemy. So when anger would well up in me, I would push it down. And I, and then if I burst, it burst out at some point, it's going to burst out. (laughs) The more you try to control it, it's going to come out. Then my feelings of guilt, um, you know, I would beat myself up. I would tell myself what a horrible parent or person I was. I punished myself as much as I was punished as a child. I learned to punish myself. So the, the accepting my feelings and for some, and for each of us, it'll be different what those feelings are. Accepting those feelings as part of the human experience and saying, I feel angry. That's not a bad person feeling. I'm not a bad person because I feel a feeling. I'm not a bad person because I feel sad, because I want to cry. It is the full range of human experience. And what I learned was, um, I think you said this about discomfort, about when something's triggering you or making you uncomfortable, like that's the sign for you to go Mm -hmm. in. Yeah. I had to learn that accepting anger and moving toward my anger, saying, I can go and be angry and feel that and, and I'm safe and other people will be safe. It's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. I can explore where that anger comes from. I can understand anger and anger can be a friend. Anger can be um, something that tells me something about myself. So accepting those feelings that had been 
um, punished when I was a child was such an important part of my own process. So for each of us, it's going to be different what those feelings are. But we deny all of those (laughs) that we learned were bad in our families or in our schools or whatever it was. So I think I know it's I was just gonna say that's just it's such a huge piece of our own growing self awareness, right? And and nothing triggers us to start developing that as coming to unschooling, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think then what the mindfulness piece, as I all of these things all interconnect because I had to be willing to be present with myself. As you Mm -hmm. said earlier, and as I've said, you know, when those uncomfortable feelings hit us, when we're on the discomfort is there, the ability to sit with that and be present with it is so difficult. (laughs) And so that mindfulness that in the moment now, where am I at and what's going on for me, but then also mindfulness and presence with the child. (laughs) That even I'm just going to sit right now and even though I feel a hundred things are pulling on me, I'm going to watch this thing, this video that he wants me to watch and just be there. Or go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to say that's such a a huge piece, right? And I think that's something that for me anyway, that's something I learned through experience, you know, because people would say, you know, make that a top priority. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll try (laughs) And But it's like, you know, after a few times, it's like, wow, what I learned in that half hour Mm -hmm. beats like every other choice I could have had. Yeah. Right. So that that mindfulness to be with them and that mindfulness with myself to take a beat, Mm -hmm. you know, when some some emotion or some feeling was welling up. That those were huge, huge tools for me. Yeah, yeah, and even that um, mindfulness of where my where my feelings show up of of um, you know at feeling out of control, unsafe, or angry, it sh- always mm-hmm. shows up in my stomach. Ah. So the place it shows up is I start to feel a little funky in my stomach. Sometimes it shows yeah. up as as hunger, but it's not hunger; it's anger. Sometimes it shows up ah. as nausea because oh my gosh something's really making me so uncomfortable I'm starting to feel a little bit nauseous um so I started paying attention to those early signals what's going Mm -hmm. on oh wait something's happening in my stomach all right I got give me a moment give me a moment guys I just gotta have a moment you know and (laughs) ask ask for that time in for me like I need a moment this is really intense. Sometimes it would yeah. be just to close my eyes in the midst of what was going around me for just a moment and say, I'm feeling something. Even if I couldn't name exactly what the feeling was, just say, oh, I'm aware. My mindfulness allows me to tap into close my eyes. It's in my stomach. I'm feeling something. And then move on. What's the next thing that's going to, you know. Mm-hmm. So that- I know sometimes, sometimes a physical reaction shows up first, right? It you don't does. Even- yeah. 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 So the mindfulness piece is both with ourselves and then also with the child. I know that if I, when I'm in that angry mode and what I want to do is lash out, if I get down and I really just observe the child, like look in their eyes, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to dehumanize. And none of us want to think we dehumanize our children. Yeah. But it, but it's easy if all we see are the externals like not the like the messy house the toys 
poured out on the floor, the mess, whatever, the spill, whatever it is, we look at that rather than the child. And that moment of mindfulness to just say, look, look at his eyes. Look at him. Notice his nose. (laughs) Notice the hair. Notice the things you really, really love. Like if I could take that moment in those intense times, like that two to two to six years old. And even now I do it at nine and 14, like breathe. And oh my gosh, look at him. Mm -hmm. And that's that moment I need to, to at least hold back from the lash out. And then even if there's a lash out, there's ways to come back from that. You know, we can talk Mm -hmm. about that, but, and then the (laughs) the last thing is the awareness piece for me, the awareness had to do with multiple levels of awareness, awareness that I was trained to be this way. Like all of my early training in childhood, the systems, the school systems, my family system, all of those things trained me, trained my brain right? Our neural pathways yep. <laughs> that are activated, reactivated and reactivated over and over. Like those things I was trained to do. So that awareness that I'm trained to be in this place and I can unlearn it like that hope I can unlearn it and to know that that's what operates and that that gets reinforced in even now in the media, the messages I might get from family, the, you know, all of those things reinforce that control dynamic. Mm-hmm. And then what are my particular triggers? So that enter in my own personal awareness. So food was a trigger for a long, long, long time. Sometimes still comes up for me. Um, you know, there are other things um, that are triggers for me. So my awareness of this is a, a soft spot for me. I'm sensitive about this thing. So knowing that, oh, this, this might come up. Okay, so how do I take care of myself? How do I recognize that that's a place of healing that that's a place I need to go deeper in, you know, that awareness of my own dynamics, internal dynamics, and even the dynamics I may have set up in my relationship with the child, because we get into patterns mm-hmm. <laughs> with them. And, and even as we're undoing what we did before, those patterns come back into play. And so we can even acknowledge that, oh, we're stuck in this pattern. So sometimes I would even say, like, if we were in the car and there's a lot that happens in cars. If people mm-hmm. have cars and they travel by cars, yeah. there's a lot that happens. I would say, I've got to pull over and just step out. <laughs> you know, like, this is not working. I need to step out for a minute and, uh, you know, de um, change that energy pattern or change that pattern of interaction. Or I can say, you know what, I'm getting intense. I'm going to step away. Um, so those things, that awareness, that systems and maybe my history level, how I'm trained in those ways. And then what are my own particular triggers? And then the awareness of the child. So each of them are so different. The things that I could say to one, I can't say to the other. So mm. the things that hurt one much, much more are very different from the things that might hurt the other one. The ways in which... Um, Martel needs me to reconnect after I've maybe, um, you know, lashed out or lost it or gotten upset or intense about something are so different from the ways Grayson needs me to reconnect and apologize. So that awareness of what do they need from me? And did I even hurt them? Maybe I didn't. And it's just me, you know? (laughs) Exactly. You know, sometimes so much is caught up in our own history, right? 
um, as you said, it's it's totally individual with each child and our children as they get older. They get to know us too, mm-hmm. and and they're aware of our triggers or our 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 personality. You know, all those pieces. Like you know, I, I think I've mentioned before on an episode that my kids know. Um, I need a minute to absorb, you know, quick changes in plans and plans and stuff like that. You know, I have to kind of process through that. I can't really just go, hey, cool. Um, so they are happy to give me that beat, you know, mm. hey, mom, I'm thinking about this. You know, can you think about it? And uh, I'll come back in five minutes or whatever, <laughs> you know, the same way. And, and that's all learned empathy and relationship skills because of the way we've treated and supported and respected them too, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Such great tools Teresa shared for the journey, accepting our feelings, mindfulness, and awareness. And each of those has so many layers. Next, let's hear from Scott Noel. Scott is an unschooling dad of two, an author, and a life coach dedicated to supporting parents who want to move away from control-based parenting methods. Here's what he shared about the pull we can feel to use control when we're uncomfortable with our children's choices. As our children get older, we we touched on this a little bit before, uh, we can sometimes find ourselves feeling uncomfortable with some of their choices, you know, Mm. the things that that they're pursuing and and that feel really uh, good to them. And when we start feeling that that fearfulness, we start to feel protective of them. And that's when we can so easily slip into control because that is what what we live with, right? That's the go-to response of our our culture. You you know, your parents' job is to say, no, sorry, you know, you can't do that. And then impose some consequences, say, if I find that you're doing X, you know, you're going to lose this privilege or whatever if they disobey. So um, I just thought we could talk a bit about how that – can damage your relationship, that trust, that connection, and what we might do instead when we're um, starting to feel overly like protective and fearful. Hmm. Wow, that's that's really big. I, I I mean, I think the word consequences is is um, is a, a, ripe for deconstruction, and yeah. um, it, it is one of the most disingenuous words in the whole parenting lexicon, <laughs> you know, because people talk about consequences when they're really talking about a punishment. It's just a way to control yeah. people. And I always say the only authentic consequence is love, right? <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. whatever yeah. you do, I love you, period. <laughs> That's yeah, consequence. Yeah. And what that means <laughs> is that, you know, uh, if you behave in a way that I don't like, then that means uh, we need to tend to the partnership. This is why I, I think partnership is one of the most central uh, concepts that I talk about in being mm-hmm. with children. And unschooling really is a kind of partnership education. You're partnering with the child and with their nature. Um, but, uh, but in a behavior situation, um, rather than, uh, I mean, sort of the old view is that uh, the child is supposed to behave a certain way and I, and I'm, I have the, the right to control that. Um, mm-hmm. and if you're in a partnership orientation, say, well, we each have equal dignity. Obviously I'm, I'm, uh, we're not 
equal in every way. I'm older, more experienced, and and and, and I have more legal rights, et cetera, et cetera. But um, but the um, but as as human beings, we're equal, and I have no more right to uh, control my child than my child has a right to control me. Um, but that's we're not particularly interested in controlling each other. We're interested in having an enjoyable partnership. Um, and that does mean that we are interacting <laughs> and we're, we're, you know, we're, we are, um, it's not so much controlling each other as, is doing a dance together. Right. Mm-hmm. And that means yeah. we need to be attuned with each other. We need to understand each other's needs and, um, and we need to be most first and foremost, I think we need to just sort of be committed to being creative because it's inevitable that there are going to be situations where what I want and what my child wants are are not the same thing. And then it looks like a win lose situation. And when it looks like that, we have the power to choose a different a, a different perspective. That it doesn't have to be win-lose. It can be win-win. <clears throat> and I like to say it's a win-win-win because I win, you win, and the partnership wins. The partnership gets yeah. stronger. Um, so, uh, but that, in order to create those win-win outcomes, um, you really have to be committed to a creative process. That every time we seem to be at odds, it's an opportunity to be co-creators and to step into uh, a collaborative uh, um, process, I guess. Um, and that's, um, you know, it, if we can avoid the, the, the reactivity and the tendency to move into blame and just sort of hold presence long enough to calm ourselves down, <laughs> then we can actually move into that creative process and, and really enjoy it and say, well, okay, wait a minute. Sorry I overreacted. What I really want to understand is what are you needing here? And, and I want you to understand what I'm needing here. And let's, let's just um, assume that in this universe of infinite possibilities, there is, some, there is at least one possibility where both of us meet our needs or, or both mm-hmm. of us satisfy our desires. And, um, and those creative possibilities that you discover in that process can often be, you know, better than what you wanted in the first place. And, and maybe it's not, maybe it's just different, or maybe it's mm-hmm. even a little bit inferior <laughs> in terms of like what would have been perfectly ideal for you. But on the bigger picture, it's, it's a better outcome because you have this stronger partnership and partnership. yeah. And, yep. and that pays off mm-hmm. big time in the long term. Um, I like to say that, you know, if, if your kids are still young and you commit yourself to cultivating a partnership culture in your family, um, then you have, you know, plenty of years to do it. And by the time they're teenagers, you don't have any of the problems or very little of the problems that are typical of teenagers. If you've, if you've mm-hmm. taken, made that effort. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we've had no problems. But definitely mm-hmm. not some of the horror stories that I hear or some of the just the sad situations that I see where uh, uh, young adults and their parents don't like each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think so much of what we've um, been talking about this whole time 
leads up to this, right? Because it's that, that when you're feeling the urge to control, I think that's a, a great point to try and um, see that as a clue that it's time to refocus back on, on partnership, right? Um, and that reminds you, okay, I should see, it reminds you to, to look at the situation from their perspective, from their eyes, and not, not even from um, like what I would do in their situation, because I'm not them. Right. It's, it's to see the whole situation um, from inside them, right? From their perspective, why this is important to them. Because once you have that understanding of where they're coming from, at least, you can bring that like to your whole co-creation conversation. That's how you guys can, how we can find a path forward um, as partners where we're all, reasonably satisfied like you said it may not be like the perfect but when we can find something where we're all like yeah okay i can live with that i can do that that works you know i love that third win because that's when the partnership has becomes more solid becomes again another layer of connected and trusting because you have again found a way a way through this so yeah i think that's a a beautiful way to uh to think about it as a, a win-win-win. Totally. And and I would even go a step further for those who are adventurous mm-hmm. in the realms of consciousness <laughs> <laughs> that you can actually, I mean, what you said, I think is true to say, well, I'm, you know, what would I do or what would I want? And, and, and then to remember, well, but I'm not her, or I'm not him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But on a deeper level, you can actually say, I am her, like, in a sort of more esoteric, new agey, we're all one kind of thing. Yeah. And uh-huh. and if you cultivate that consciousness of oneness, that and it's a sort of a paradox, we're separate and we're connected, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we tend to focus in our culture more on the separateness and not that much on the connectedness. So you can actually play thought games and um, and decide, uh, okay, for the next twenty minutes, I'm going to be. Like I'm going to fully inhabit with wholeheartedly inhabit the perspective of my child. And, you know, if they love something that I think is meh, you know, I'm going to love it. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And just feel that. Um, And, um, and that opens you up to discovering uh, deeper kinds of connection, but also even just things where, you know what, I, my opinion about that one thing wasn't, wasn't uh, fully informed. <laughs> now that I've totally stepped into my child world, I uh, uh, I have a, a greater appreciation for that. Oh, so so many times when I've done that, like when we've been, I felt uncomfortable, and then it's like, okay, so where where is this? And and putting myself, um, you know, you can think about. It. Think of it that way as 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 being one, but putting myself in their spot so many times, I was able to stretch my comfort zone is kind of how I talked about it before, Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, those pieces um, that I was bringing um, into my thoughts or, you know, maybe they were some stereotypes that I picked up or some negative experience that I had. Um, those were, um, clouding my vision and my perspective grew just by taking the time to see it, how they see it. 
and 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 often regularly enough anyway the the whole kind of problem dissolved because i realized it was just me stretching a little bit to really see them i love scott's win 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 perspective and his reminder that it can be fascinating and fun to play thought games like choosing to fully and wholeheartedly inhabit our child's perspective for a while and see what we discover. Next up is Jan Fortune. Jan home-educated her four now-adult children in the UK and wrote many articles and five books on unschooling and consent-based parenting. We talked about how moving away from control isn't about surrendering to our children, it's about engaging with them. In your book, which I loved, Winning Parent, Winning Child, you make a great point about how consent-based parenting is not a call for parental self-surrender or martyrdom. Rather, it's a call for engagement with our children. And that was just a great example of what, of the value we get from engaging with our children, right? <laughs> so you talk about how there may be times when a mutual solution escapes us and we choose to put our children first. But that's not ideal. Uh, so even though sacrifice is often held up as a virtue in our society, why is simply giving in not a good long-term solution either? I think it's important to recognize that sometimes we fail. We don't always find solutions where, you know, we're ordinary human beings and those moments are going to happen. Um, and when we do fail, I put the child first simply because we have such an enormous responsibility to children they're the people we chose to bring into the world um so there are occasions when that's going to happen but i think when we end up finding ourselves self-sacrificing on a regular basis we really need to stop and check that for lots of reasons for one thing um self-sacrifice cuts creativity dead if you've spent hours trying to find a solution to no avail and you're too exhausted to keep going you sometimes need to cut your losses but if you cut your losses early in the process just to speed things up, then all you do is so, you know, kind of cut into that creative energy that you might have found 10 minutes down the line. You might have come up with a great solution. So I think when we kind of get in there too fast and just shrug our shoulders and go, OK, then I give in. Um, you've, you've short circuited all of that creativity. I think the other really damaging thing about self-sacrifice is it builds resentment a person who's always giving in might seem as though they're okay about it, but over time it eats away. And I think that poisons the atmosphere of being solution-centered and trying to be creative. And chronic self-sacrifices, um, if you've kind of experienced those in your lives, can often become quite passive-aggressive manipulators. The person who just always says, oh, I don't mind, is often saying to the group, well, actually, I want you to guess what I'd like, um, but I'm not going to put in the energy to tell you. You have to guess and you have to get it right. They're not really being open and honest. So I think self-sacrifice when you've run out of steam is one thing. Self-sacrifice as a pattern tends to have all this kind of other emotional baggage with it. Um, so certainly don't be harsh with yourself when you have moments of failure. They're going to happen to everybody. But I think if you notice that pattern, of self-sacrificing or somebody never stating their needs it's really time to kind of dig into that and try and shift it because in the long term it breeds bad feeling and it sabotages our creativity 
I love that. It's such a great point. Patterns yeah. are the things to watch yeah. out for, aren't they? Right? When, um, because I'm trying to remember what I was going to, I had something great. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh, that was it. When we're, um, like you said, you know, we're talking and we're trying to figure something out and we're trying to figure something out and maybe we, you know, lose uh, energy for for it and we you know say okay you know what we'll try it we'll try it your way because you you know why not you haven't come up with a good enough reason not to yeah (laughs) exactly but when there's that pattern and you you give up earlier and earlier with less and less effort not only are you losing your creativity you're also losing those moments to learn more about our children and ourselves, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just kind of it eats into all of that, really. So, yeah, um, yeah. And patterns are definitely the thing to look for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's just so much relationship development that goes in there, and and your point before about the time that we're invest. This is what we're choosing to put our time in when we're not putting it into school and all those other things we're choosing to create this kind of learning environment because learning about ourselves and learning how to um, connect with others and work through issues with others. These are all valuable and important skills that a lot of kids who spend all their time in school don't have a lot of time to develop, do they? No, absolutely. I mean, they're they're missing that. And that's what we set this up for. So, you know, use it. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to dig into this transition to consent-based parenting a little bit more. And in the book, you wrote, uh, consent works best when everyone in the family, adults and children alike, see themselves as free, respected people who can live the life they prefer within the family group. When this happens, adults and children can all be open to changing their wishes without ever fearing that it will mean doing something they really don't want to do. (laughs) This releases an enormous flood of innovative thinking for solving problems like that creative thinking that we were just talking about. But I do think that this is something that can be so hard to envision to believe that it will actually happen until you see it in action. And I remember there were a couple of valuable mind shifts that helped me to make this shift to consent-based parenting. One was ensuring that my wishes were not about my children. Mm. (laughs) You know what? That was something that was surprisingly hard to tease out. I kind of had to empty myself out and then start adding my needs and wants back in one at a time playing with them to see if they were really mine not oh I wish my child would do this or I wish they liked this (laughs) so oh yeah the other thing the other one was being open to changing my mind right or my wishes even and that was so much work to get deep into my own thoughts and to be okay with um, not liking what I found at first, because, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking. Uh, so it was so valuable for me to show by example that our discussion was about the ideas and our needs and to be able to say, wow, that's a great point that I didn't consider. You know, I'm more open to doing it your way. Let's see. Yeah. And then not act like I've given in when I've changed my mind. Right. There's a difference. Because oh, if yeah. If if you feel if you act like you've given in, then it's kind of like now they owe you something next time. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking about that passive aggressive yeah. Yeah. approach to it all. 
there's just so much wrapped up in there. there? (laughs) So I was wondering if you had some tips that you could share about this transition and how it really cracks open that creative problem solving process. Yeah. I mean, I think you've highlighted those shifts really well. Changing your mind because you've become open is completely different to self-sacrificing that we were just discussing. Absolutely crucial. If you see adults as the people with all the answers and the children as the ones in training, then doing that's going to feel counterintuitive. But if you shift your mindset so that you believe we're all learners, we've all got different sorts of experience, different sorts of creativity, fresh thinking, it doesn't matter where the solution to a problem comes from or whether it happened to be suggested by a two-year-old or a 35-year-old. It's just a creative solution. And part of that genuinely flexible open-mindedness has to be that we don't have preconceived ideas about what we want our children to be or to do. Your needs have to be yours, just as you were saying, and we hold those tentatively and creatively. So, you know, my need is for you to clean your room really misses the point. (laughs) You know, my need might be to have some clean, calm space. That's fine. And then I can invite others to help me with that rather than implicating them in what they have to do or what has to happen because they might not have any need at all to have a clean room um if your children if you children don't feel you've already made up your mind about what the outcome has to be if you're genuinely open-minded and you treat them as people who have something to offer then they've got nothing to lose in contributing their creativity And once they see that this creativity is taken seriously, more and more of it's forthcoming. So I think it's about that creating of a positive spiral rather than a kind of downward slope. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, you know, getting in there and being really flexible. And as you say, owning your needs as yours and then saying, what can you know, how can we help with this? So you are asking them for help in the same way as they ask you for help. It becomes this community of creative people who are sorting out how they live together yeah that's such a great point because when you know if it's all all situations come up for discussion right you know (laughs) what the kids want to do and we try to make that happen and what we want to do you know that they're all equally valuable and deserving of discussion and the other yeah, yeah. The other piece I uh, when you were talking about cleaning, cleaning their room and, and stuff like that, the other piece about being so open and us changing our minds is showing them that it's OK to change your mind. You know, over the years, my kids have enjoyed messy rooms and then they've gone through times when they really liked keeping it organized. And and you don't want them to think, OK, this feeling about needing it, wanting it organized isn't. In reaction, like you don't want them to ignore it because they feel like they'd be finally satisfying your need for a clean room, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, yeah, not setting up those. I mean, it's that kind of emotional baggage again, isn't it, that that Mm -hmm. can undermine things. And if that's not there, then people can freely move positions um, without that kind of fearfulness or feeling that they're going to be looked down on because they held a position and now they don't. We all change all the time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
Um, another aspect of the transition to consent-based parenting that I wanted to touch on is moving beyond the conventional idea that children will tend towards bad choices oh. if they aren't controlled, right? <laughs> As we move to unschooling, we discover that what our children really lack is just experience, especially if we've been parenting with rules and controls for years. Our children have had little experience with understanding themselves, their needs, um, how to make reasoned choices, how to move through that process. So at first, they may behave in ways that may seem to us, at least, as mm -hmm. irrational, right? Yet... That is still not a sufficient justification for falling back on control and compulsion, is it? There is another way that we can look at those kinds of situations. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. If you've got years of compulsion to undo, then there's going to be some disbelief on the part of those children um, when you say that's gone now. And there's going to be some testing out. And that can be very, very hard and very scary. I think the thing to hold on to is every time you slide back into compulsion, that trust is diminished. And so, you know, that can create real vicious circles. Once you've established that trust, of course, you won't get it right every time. But that trust will see you through. So, you know, when when situations go wrong still, you can still go, this is what, you know, we were really intending. Um, this is what we're now getting you know, 60% of the time, 70% of the time, we're, we're working, it's, it's growing. Um, and I think just being really open and honest with the children that this is a big change for you as well, and you're going to struggle with it. And so, you know, we, we just have to be on side with each other and have to be kind to each other. But this is the, the direction we're really going in. Um, so in the transition, we need to look at what might be irrational choices as maybe just establishing that trust and then building towards creativity. And that does sometimes take a lot of holding your breath or biting your tongue and, <laughs> and just kind of seeing where it leads and, and talking all the time. I mean, I think the big thing is that you're constantly conversing about this. You're constantly reassuring. You're constantly saying, Oh, I got that wrong. How do we go back to the drawing board? Um, I don't understand your decision there, but it's your decision. Can you tell me more about it? And just keeping those channels as open as you possibly can. I love that. And that's the hard part, I think, especially at the beginning, right? It's you're biting your tongue, yeah. yet you're having conversations. <laughs> it's a different kind of conversation now, right? Totally different. Yeah, it's not a conversation about judgment anymore. Um, yeah, or telling them what to I do. Understand. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I love that because when you're picking their brain, but you're right. If if you do it with whether it's that passive aggressive approach or that judgment in your voice, they can tell. And like you yeah. said, you're taking a step backwards. You're losing that piece of ground of trust that you had been gaining. So you know that is something you really want to watch out for, but when you start asking those questions, your child has probably not been asked those kinds of questions yeah. before, right? They've just been That's told surprising. so. Yeah. Yeah. They're discovering so much about themselves just by even yeah. considering the question. Oh, geez, I've yeah. never wondered what I thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It opens up a very different space, I think. 
Yeah, so much learning for everybody, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Such a rich discussion around the transition away from control and to consent. And next, we hear from Megan Valness. Megan is an unschooling mom with six children, and we have so much fun diving deep into her de-schooling experience, including this bit about the transition from control to connection. So, and another important aspect of this de-schooling process uh, revolves around parenting, and, and it uh, lines up a lot with what you were talking about with your son, because it turns out that helping our children's learning thrive and just helping them thrive as individuals means shifting our parenting paradigm, right, from having control over our children, right, even if it's just wishing that they, you know, I wish he would get up and play and do all these wonderful things that we can now do because he's home, to being right. in connection with our children, right, to yes. um, starting to understand their perspective. And and that huge piece that you, you talked about, you, you mentioned it, but I think it's a huge piece, is that um, judging ourselves or seeing ourselves um, from what our children are choosing to do, right? Yes. So I was just wondering if you could talk a bit about what that shift has looked like for you. Yes. So um, that piece about the reflection of our children or our children being a children reflection is, of us, it's yeah. so uh, cultural, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's something in our paradigm that's one of those things for myself I didn't even realize I was doing. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I was like doing it overtime. So <laughs> I know that <laughs> I was working overtime on that one before unschooling. That was just a completely foreign thought to me. I think I, I never really thought about it. Mm-hmm. I grew up with parents that loved me very much, but didn't really play with me. And it was never expected that they would play with me. Yeah. That just wasn't their role. You know, I grew up thinking, being a good parent meant you kept your kids clean and like nice looking. You educated them. They had manners and mm-hmm. you didn't really need to play with them. So yeah. with my oldest, I didn't, it's so regretful to think about it now, you know, but I didn't really play with him when he was little. Mm-hmm. And God, one of my biggest regrets is I sleep trained him. Mm-hmm. which I went to, uh, I was 22 years old when I had my oldest son. I was kind of a baby. Now that I'm older, I'm like, oh my God, I really was young. Um, <laughs> and I never thought about it. I never even thought about the fact that I was young to have a baby. For me, I had always wanted children and I wanted children young. And the women in my family tend to have children young. So to me, that was just normal. Mm-hmm. And um, And when I... So anyways, I I was 22 years old when I had him, and I just really wanted to do everything right. I truly believed what I was doing was the best thing for him. And my husband hated that I sleep trained him and would always just want to, you know, bring him in with us. And he was probably 12 weeks old when I did that. And so I still nursed him for a long time. But in the that right there disconnected me from my son, putting him in a crib and letting him cry to sleep was a huge disconnection for us. And I never did it again with any of my other children because I knew innately it was wrong um, in my gut. But at the time, at that age, I wasn't really able to even be connected to myself 
and my own intuition and my mother's intuition. I didn't trust myself enough to connect with myself. And therefore, how could I connect with my children on that level? Mm-hmm. Which is another huge part of the, the trust component in unschooling. And I forget who said, oh, John Holt says, you know, we're raised our whole lives as children believing we can't be trusted. So it's no wonder we turn into adults that don't trust ourselves. And then yeah. again, mm-hmm. don't trust our children. And then so it's just this like revolving cycle. So it has to stop somewhere, right? We've got to change mm-hmm. it. And so um, being disconnected what was was what was normal for me. Yeah. And so when I came to unschooling and was starting to let go of all those controls, that led me to start learning more about myself and why I had those control issues over my children and how, what did that mean for me? Like, how did I need to connect back into myself and connect with them? So connecting with them and really making the effort to play with them, to watch TV with them, to sit on the couch and watch my son's shows with him, to play their computer games, to really get into their world helped me heal and helped me learn, I think, what a true connection means. And so that, that was just part of the work and the process of putting down all those thoughts and ideas and opinions that I thought were so right and shifting my perspective and trying something new because playing, playing with my kids was really foreign to me. But at the same time, Pam, the weird thing is, is that I was only this kind of person parenting. I've always been, you know, fun and a little bit crazy and a little bit wild, right? And wanting to do Mm -hmm. things and just, I just have kind of a vivacious personality. It's who I am. But when it came to parenting, I would turn into this different person. Like I said, I had to put on this persona and I sort of turned into what I thought was right you know, and, yeah. and it wasn't right. <laughs> and that's such a great point yeah. though, because, because, you know, <clears throat> it's our chance to, um, to be, to be good, right? Like we said, right. we're, we're seeing, um, our value or our worth as a parent reflected, um, through our children. Right. So that drives us to control them to be perfect. So yes. We can look perfect. Exactly. Because this is our shot. Right. You know, because because we know what a good parent looks like. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> Conventionally. You know. So, you know, when, when, especially when you've bought into that whole paradigm, yes. you're just really pulled to accomplish it. Right. Yes. I know what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. And always so worried about how other people are judging the situation. Because like for myself, I don't, I I never really cared what people thought about me. But all of a sudden when I had kids, it was like, man, these kids need to be perfect. And people Mm -hmm. need to think that I'm doing a great job and know that I'm a fit parent, you know? Yeah. And where does it, so. So, uh, yeah, that's why when you when you're shifting away from that control, you're like, oh, you know, now what? Right. And like you said, you have to learn so much about yourself. Right. um, So that you can even connect to somebody because you can't really see it's it's very hard to see from somebody else's perspective until you like you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start with your own. Right. right, Exactly. And sometimes it's fake it till you make it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I found because in the beginning, I didn't really understand what I was doing, but yeah. I did it anyway. I just mm-hmm. I kind of went through the steps and first off, it was just opening my mind to the fact that what my kids were watching on TV was really great. And was it funny? And can I get into it with them? You know, and yeah. I could. And so it's just somewhere. Even if in my head I was thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe we're watching this Barbie movie. And I, you know, or whatever I was thinking in my head, I didn't say it out loud. It was also learning to control my mouth. <laughs> it's it's like a million and one little shifts yes, at first. Every it day. Is. Like, and every day parents, it's like, oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, I'm just, oh, just going to say as, sorry. <laughs> 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 I think as parents, we feel like it's our right to just, unload our opinion on our kids yeah <laughs> in conventional parenting do you notice that like you'll tell your yeah. kids be like oh my god your hair is a wreck your breath stinks go brush your teeth like you would Isn't never it? say that to anyone else yeah and and oh. somehow it's okay to say that to your children right and yeah it's more conventional so you hear it all around you so becoming more mindful also is a huge part in connecting being more mindful of what you say and how you say it and how are you treating these people that happen to be your children mm-hmm. who, by the way, didn't ask to be bor- born, you know, you brought them into yeah. this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All that ties together so nicely because, because it's all about being able to stop for that moment. Right. And, and, and just contemplate like not yeah. just react not just say oh your hair or whatever so what is oh your hair or oh this tv show or whatever just exactly. back to what we were talking about before about just being open just being open to those moments just kind of passing by and just contemplating them for a little yes. bit and and doing that shift over again oh you know look but we're having fun we're watching this tv show for the hundredth time but, exactly. But we're having fun. We're laughing. You know, it's this whole conversation that goes on in your head, isn't it? <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and that's better, you know, to learn that sometimes we just need to keep it in our head or mm-hmm. talk to our friends about it. But we don't have to unload it on our kids. Yeah. Let them remember- have their own experience. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. Then that's part of the just staying back and observing a little bit. Totally. Like you're with them and connecting, but you don't have to verbalize everything, right? Right. To see it, how they take it in. And I learned so much because they see things differently. So and that was all part of my de schooling. Yes. To realize that they're the way they see things is just as valid. It's almost even more valid because it's coming from a more pure perspective, I think. It doesn't come with all our baggage, right? Like, I had a lot of, I, I, in the beginning, I had a lot of opinions that were just weighed down by, like, all this baggage and my own experience Mm -hmm. and how I was really projecting this now onto my kids or onto their experience and not letting them just be an individual in the world doing something and having their unique experience with it. Mm-hmm. And that's oh, even that's hard to understand, but it's, you know, to allow them to be their own person, separate mm-hmm. from us. Does that make it's sense? Huge. Yeah, it's oh, huge. It, it is huge. And, and that's, it's so valuable for us to see it too, because, and it was seeing it so often, so often, <laughs> so many things on my unschooling journey and de journey 
for myself have been because I saw them in my children. Right. It's yes. Like, oh, or they, they pointed saw out this fresh. Exactly. Yeah. 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 This is okay. Oh, so what do I really think about this? Right. I mean, I'm learning from exactly. I'm learning from my kids all the time. And now, like yeah. with my two older ones, are 11 and 13. You know, my 13 year old is smarter than I am. I swear. Yep, yep. And it's just so amazing. And I love hearing about his perspective. And I thank God that I found it at the time I did because, you know, eight years old, that's, that's not early in the game kind of when Mm -hmm. we're talking about children. And I'm just so happy I found it when I did because now our relationship is so amazing. Like we're so connected and I don't have to control him anymore. I really can say that I trust him in what he's doing. And that is like a long time coming. I mean, that's probably been in the past year Mm-hmm. that I felt that way. And that's not saying everything's perfect, you know. Being in connection with your children and your family isn't saying that you never have an argument or get upset mm-hmm. or have just issues. You know, it's not always hunky-dory. But it means that we I, can really discuss issues when they happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess that's it, is is when you say it's amazing, and it is, and you're so well-connected, I get you worry that people think, oh, you know, it's all candy. Yes. It's all rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> Rainbow, there you go. There's the <laughs> phrase I was looking for. But no, it's that that connection helps you. Like, even in when there's issues and problems and people are worried and upset and everything, that connection is still there. So, uh, yes. It, it seems like you're working together. And so it's so it important. Seem like right. bad. Exactly. Right? And the connection is so important in those vulnerable times because mm-hmm. to be able to connect into our children when they're not doing their best, they're not feeling their best, even coming down to my three year old, when she's throwing a tantrum or screaming and crying because her toy doesn't look the way she wants it to, I don't have to get upset and control her and, and make her feel good again. I can just like mm-hmm. be there with her. You know, and let her be upset and help her as much as I can. And maybe with a three-year-old, luckily, we can kind of guide their attention elsewhere to something that maybe will make them happy, a lollipop. But, you know, with my 13-year-old, when he's upset, I can be there with him, too. I don't Mm -hmm. have to. It even comes down to, like, controlling their feelings because before when... Maybe my kids would get upset or sometimes we're just used to saying, it's okay. Like, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Don't cry. We even want to control feelings. And so now with my 13 year old, even if he's angry, if he's mad at me, I can let him have his anger and be mad. And I'm still connected to him. And it's even growing stronger in those moments because then I can just be there for him as a support. And he knows that. I think he knows I'm there, you know? Which is huge. Yeah. It is. It's huge. And, and yeah, no, <laughs> it's just, it, it's, it's wonderful. And it's so different and it's okay. It's part of the detangling yourself from them, right? right? They are individuals with their own valid feelings, reactions, you know, everything. And to let them have, see that it's such a fine line, isn't it? You say you let them have it. And if they're upset and if they're upset with me, that's okay. And everything. And then you think, oh, well, you know, do people think then it's just hands off? I just leave them alone. Oh, no, that's that. No, (laughs) (laughs) 
no, there's no. so much. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about unschooling is it's definitely not hands off. And no. it's learning <laughs> what that means. Because, yeah. you know, when you are in that traditional paradigm, it's kind of like all or nothing, I think, in, in our head. It, it's just everything's kind of black and white in the traditional yeah. para- paradigm of parenting. And when you get into unschooling, you realize that it's mostly a big, huge spectrum of gray. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's very little black and white. And that was really hard for me because I like things to be black and white. (laughs) I have to tell you, I, you know, my natural personality is more of a black and white personality because it helps me. I mean, human beings, we like patterns. Right. Yes. We like symmetry and things to fit correctly. Yep. <laughs> and so when things don't, it gets a little tricky. So learning that gray spectrum of, yes, I'm going to let him be angry at me, but no, it's not hands off in any way. If, yeah. Is it is, how to support them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is tricky because sometimes he tells me, you know, go away. Mm-hmm. So I have to go away. <laughs> But he still knows I love him. And yeah. I'll tell him, I say, okay, I'm going to leave you alone, but I love you. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And, and not taking and it personally, a, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's, that's that connection and that trust underneath it, that. And the time aspect comes in there too, right? That this doesn't need to be solved right this instant. Right, exactly. I don't need you to be. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that advice to never go to bed angry. Yeah, right. I, it's always struck me a, a little off because some we need our feelings and we yeah. need to process them in whatever time that it takes us. But right. to know that the other people are there for us, you know, when we're we're ready to reach out, yeah, or ready to like, and then that's what we learn too is like even if it's just body language to know that they're ready for us to come closer. Right, exactly. And and he oh, knows I'm there. Like, I, I don't know if when I was 13 years old, I was allowed to be angry at my parents or yell at them without yeah. there being some kind of repercussion, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of consequence to whatever behavior. My My son and all my kids know they can be angry and they can be upset. And that doesn't mean they're going to get in trouble later for it or... I'm going to punish them for their feelings. They still know I'm there. Now, some things are unacceptable. Obviously, if my kid came up and hit me or hit another one of my kids, that's unacceptable, right? But even Mm -hmm. with that, it's still not, I'm going to punish you for that. It's Yeah, because, you know, when they're upset, angry... Yeah, any anything there that's not fun for them. No, you know, no. they're not doing it to piss you off or no. something. They are where they are. They're doing the best they can in exactly. that moment. And, you know, you're going to have opportunities to talk about that, like most likely not in the moment. You're supporting them and just helping them get through the upset in the moment. Right. But after you can talk about um, how they got there, you know, what right. was going on. Yeah, you can help them because they don't want that to happen again exactly. and again and again. You exactly. know, so you're still supporting them and helping them figure out ways for next time. Absolutely. Right? And it's important and- <laughs> to feel I think for kids, it's really natural because you have to learn how to handle the big emotions. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so to really be able to do it in a safe space 
Yeah. You know, to go through that little roller coaster ride and then it, it's okay and then you can talk about it afterwards and grow from it and learn from it. That alone yeah. is going to set you up, it's I think, pretty huge. well. huge. Yeah. Yeah, because to even know, to be able to to see the other side of it, right? To see that you can get through it, that there's another side, that you can, you know, um, make changes and just the whole experience of being able to go through it rather than it being the end of the world, you know, because you get older and you've never been able. Yeah, yeah. Right. Meaning something more than it is. Like when my son was in school, they wanted to say he had, um, it's called ODD. What is it? Obstinate oh, defiant oppositional di- defiant disorder. Yes, yes I know. Which is basically one. what it is. <laughs> really? Who came up with that? It's really yeah. a kid saying when they told me that, that was one thing I never agreed with. They told me that I laughed in their face. And I was I like, know, Oh, I so know. my son wants to say no? Like what does that <laughs> mean? You know? We expect these children like if so it doesn't have to mean anything. Like your kid can get upset. It doesn't mean they're O D D. You know, they can hop from subject yeah. to subject. It doesn't mean there. It doesn't have to mean something. It can just be what it is in that moment, and it yeah. means they're human. Exactly, and <laughs> to be able to help them um, understand themselves. Right. Right. Isn't that just like that's a gift that keeps on yes. coming? That no matter what their personality is, and and who they want to be, and and all that kind of stuff, to be able to see them for who they are right. and and love them exactly is is, is like it's such a gift thank you megan now let's hear from teresa hess teresa is an unschooling mom with three kids and i love the name of her blog sparkle and zest it's so cool she posted a wonderful manifesto about unschooling and partnership parenting and here's what she shared when i asked her about it A couple months ago, you posted a wonderful manifesto on your blog that explains, right, that you're a radical unschooling family and listing, you are listing (laughs) some of the things that you believe that led you to that choice. And I'll put links in the show notes for people because I I urge you to go read it. Um, And you talk about how you came to this and you mentioned this earlier through parenting, right? You, I ended up on Jan, Jan Hunt's site too, one of my first websites. And I was coming from the school perspective, right? Because my kids were in school and you landed there from the parenting and then we both found on school. Anyway, I thought that was really cool. (laughs) So I was, yeah, I was just wondering if you wanted to share a little bit uh, more about what that process looked like and how you came to, you know, really feeling, feeling solid now in those beliefs that have led you to this lifestyle. Right. Well, it's funny. I sort of wrote that blog post, um, several months before I posted it. Yeah. I was sort of scared to post it for yeah. a while. <laughs> I know that feeling. I wrote, I wrote it at a time I was sort of feeling doubtful about some choices that we were mm-hmm. making. And I needed to remember why I was doing what I was doing. So it's like I needed to sort of talk myself back to what the mm-hmm. core of this is for me. Because um, 
you know, like I say, in the beginning, I was looking into schools and alternative schools because I was really longing for community. Community is like such a big thing for me. And it always has been, whether it was like community at the monastery of like-minded people getting together and focusing on something. Or in high school and college, I was involved in theater and I just loved being with the people and creating something together. So partly what's been so hard for me with unschooling has been been the fact that like no one around me in my daily life is living the type of unschooling lifestyle we are living and um that's why it's so nice to like talk to you today (laughs) but so that blog post came out of like I just needed to say it again even if it was to myself on my blog like a journal entry and um and I think just the act of writing that really helped some last I'm sure there'll be more. But at that time, some layers of, of doubt I was having just dissolve off of me because it, it took me just one step more into voicing and owning what I care about without feeling a little bit ashamed or a little bit like, well, we're making these choices that are sort of unusual, but I'll try to hide it a little bit to keep other people more comfortable or essentially to try to keep myself more comfortable, being worried about maybe other people's judgments. Or I think I wrote that post when I felt like I had been judged, you know, by a neighbor, an acquaintance, um, just, just, just being around moms who are always sort of monitoring, you know, what their kids are doing or eating or watching or saying or playing. It, it it can seep in sometimes and make me feel like, are they right? Am I, you know? No, really? Yeah. <laughs> something different here. And I think it's radical and necessary what we're doing, but I can start to forget. So, um, so that blog post was just a way for me to remember and like step into my own voice and knowing more. And um, now I can't even remember what exactly the question was. <laughs> I think it was about, <laughs> I think it was about, um, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I was going to say <clears throat> that uh, part of the question I think you answered earlier when you talked about how you came from the parenting perspective, when you talked about the move yeah. to unschooling. So right. I think that was really cool. But I, lo- I really love where you took the question just now because, yeah. you know, yeah. this is hard and it can be challenging uh-huh. and there are ups and downs to it. And I know for me, like everybody's going to discover what works well for them in those moments. For me, writing is what helps me process and figure out what I'm thinking. Find my clarity. Is pages and like, I wrote 10 pages in my journal yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to make sense. It was an idea that I, I knew I agreed with, but I had to find all the different aspects. I had to find the thread for me that worked yeah. for me, which is what that it sounds works. like you were doing, which is why the manifesto is so awesome to read because it's so clear. Yeah. And you, in the end, you found that thread that led you. These are all the things that, that make sense to me. And then uh-huh. they added up or they threaded right. into unschooling right into radical unschooling right so in those moments like I did that many times over the years 
yeah. when something's feeling off, when we've had an encounter, when yeah. you're feeling judged, like any yeah. of those moments that can knock us off, yes. it's okay. Like that's going to happen. That doesn't mean you're a bad unschooler just no. because, you know, you get knocked off center for a little bit. But finding these ways that help us recenter that help us that remind us of those fundamental motivations and reasons why we made this choice in the first place can be so valuable right yes and to just shout it from the rooftop on your blog (laughs) even if no one's reading it no but but and then i was gonna say another piece that i come to then with that is that i circle around and i'm almost like grateful for these people that maybe were naysaying or judging or that was my interpretation of what they were saying because that gave me the opportunity to step more fully into my own knowing and my own confidence rather than well if only they were doing what I was doing then I'd feel better about what I was doing you know I don't have to put the responsibility on anyone else there really is this well within me that knows that feels this on a like guttural instinctual yes resounding level and I it's like thank you for reminding me that I'm still wavering and I don't need to I can like step with both feet right on what I know again and remind myself so like that's sometimes I I really get like tears in my eyes thinking like Thank you for, you know, <laughs> for saying that thing that really hurt my feelings, you know, because it, it helped me with my own development and my own knowing. And so like not seeing, not seeing anyone as the enemy, like they yeah. said this thing that was bad or if only they did what I was doing. Like, no, none of that, all that falls away. Like it really is all about me and my own journey with with um, knowing what I'm doing is, is right for us and it, yeah. everyone else is doing their and that's awesome too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. I love the way you put that. I have goosebumps because that ended up being like when I wrote The Unschooling Journey, that kind of ended up being one of my favorite chapters, that step where at first we can, mm. we can quickly jump to blame other people like for where we're uncomfortable. Like when they've said something that's touched a nerve, it's touched a nerve in me, right? Um, For some reason that I don't know yet. And our first reaction so often is to blame them. It's it's their problem. But oh my gosh, when we take that moment to just instead go to ourselves, we learn so much more by digging deeper into whatever that issue is like, Oh, so why did that touch a nerve? What was I feeling uncomfortable about? You know, it was something right. And it's always been better for me when that's happened. So I was just like laughing here waiting because that's been my experience as well. So often, right. When, when I get upset with something someone else has said or done, it's really about Mm. me. Right. Because that's my And that's my opportunity. I can either, you know, choose to get mad at them about it. I can choose to, you know, talk behind their back. I can choose to cut them off. I can make all these choices that blame them for my reaction to whatever it is they said. But like you said, what they're saying is 
what's true for them in that moment on their journey because their journey has nothing to do with me. So my reaction has to do with me and my journey. And if I take that step, I learn so much more about myself rather than staying stuck in defensive mode, right? Yes. Oh. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I love, I love when I was writing that, I'm like, all of a sudden I could see so many times when that happens, like, oh, that's so true. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yes. Finding clarity over and over and recentering ourselves are valuable tools for the parenting journey. It's such a great reminder. And our last clip is from Liza Swale. Liza is an unschooling mom with two kids, and we dive deep into the value of connected relationships. Here's what she shared when I asked her about ways to nurture our connections with our children. Okay, so I, that's what I want to talk about next was strong connected relationships with our kids that are so valuable for unschooling to flow like we were just talking about. Um, so that, I guess that's one way. The question was, can you share some ways to nurture <laughs> those connections and saying yes and being available <laughs> when, <laughs> when they're excited to share something with you is definitely one of those. I was wondering if you had, uh, just some other, um, I guess tips, but ways that, that you find helpful to nurture your connection with them. Yeah. Well, I, I think, What's important to note for us too, um, no, just by way, I've been actually, my work has been right down, right down, down part-time for the past four, almost five years. Mm -hmm. So we've actually transitioned out of that and we're completely on the farm sustaining our life. Um, so, which is great because it's, but what it means is that our life um, and work and everything is very, there's no very thin line, if at all, between the two. Um, and we love it. We love it. We love that because it's all about the journey for us. And it's all about living and learning day by day. Not only the kids, Luke and I, all of us together, all of these things. So for us, connection is just unbelievably important. Mm -hmm. um, it really is. And it's not only for us and the kids. It's for Luke and I. It's for all of us as a family um, in order to keep the flow going. Um, and, and so we actually do make a point of it. Um, and we make a point of a few ways. Forrest, as I said, Forrest is our shadow. So she's, um, always with us doing either myself or with Luke. She loves interactions. Um, and for us, we just have always embraced this idea of inspiring, uh, the kids through our actions. And so for us, it's always inviting. We're always inviting them to come along. What are we doing? Come. You want to come? You want to come? You know, come with us. Let's do this. And we're excited about it because we're learning and applying things. And they're excited about it because we ask their opinions and observations. And, and through that, they either like it or they don't. Finn is not interested in that whatsoever. Um, his enjoyment and love and passion very much involves his space in his game room. Um, and so for us to maintain connections with him, it's very much a, is a conscious effort on all of us um, to say we need this connection. He comes out probably um, 20 times a day for random hugs. That's his thing. He just loves to just come and just get a hug. And then he goes back. Um, or he'll randomly come out and tell us things. Or all go in there and connect. Um, but for us, it's very much 
making that effort with him um, and vice versa. And that's something we've, we've, we've talked about um, as a family about this need for all of us to embrace him. Um, but we also need to keep this connect so we can feel we're part of that world um, and, and vice versa. Um, as I said, force is a little easier because she's always there um, and the opportunity is always there. The other, um, the other thing we consciously do as a family, and it's funny because we, we live together, work together, we do everything together, and this idea of, oh, my goodness, you still need to connect. <laughs> <laughs> we do, and we really do. And every year we, do, we travel. We make an effort to because to, we're so grounded and connected to the land here. Um, we need to be free. We need to go release ourselves of that wherever if it's you know three weeks great if it's a week if it's whatever we need to get away and that's really where our family connects <laughs> but on a whole a different level and we're recharged and when you live this life it's really just living and so you never when you're connecting constantly and you're connecting through life and living you take it for granted in some ways mm-hmm. right um, which is great because you're in the moment in the flow. It's wonderful. And you're, you're all connecting and acknowledging each other's needs and working through things. It's not always a wonderful journey, you know, but, yeah, no. <laughs> but you're, t- you are, you get into this rhythm of taking it for granted in certain ways. So when we shift it up and say, instead of Christmas presents, instead of all this, we're going to put that into going away. And that's going to be our, our memory of the holidays. We're going to get off the farm. We're going to not worry about the animals. We're going to not worry about that. And we're just going to be, and that has been a huge, huge gift to us when your daily life is just all about connection. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, No, that's, that is a really great point in that it, there is something about, well, number one, paying attention just to see like it's when you're living together all the time um, just to notice like if the connection has become a bit more rote or routine, you know, so that everybody's kind of doing the things, but um, you can sometimes notice that you're, you're not getting a little bit deeper because everybody's got, and you know, that's not necessarily bad. Everybody's got their flow and everybody's flowing easily. And then at some point it's like, huh, you know, haven't heard anything particularly new or whatever for a while. Uh, That's all part of the the flow and the self-awareness. But there is just something so fun about um, changing up environments for for a bit, right? I mean, it really gives you another opportunity to to take that connection to a new place. And then it's just, it just takes on a bit of a new life for a while, doesn't it? You've got new things to be talking about, to be working through, to be experiencing, experiencing together. Like you guys are still together, right? But it's, it's in this fresh, fresh, maybe that's, it just refreshes it for a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it's experience together too, right? It's the idea of, living and laughing and and embracing joy and and doing all of these things that we've done. 
but we also are very seasonal in our existence. Yeah. <laughs> We've just come off summer. Summer's wonderful. I mean, Forrest attends every farmer's market. She can and has since she's been able to vocalize it. She just loves it. It feeds her soul. And she has a whole little world around that. Um, and there's lots of connection there. But we, but it's busy. It's a busy time. Yeah. Um, and to be able to kind of disconnect, interestingly, from that mm-hmm. and and make a conscious effort to say, okay, now we're just going to be, you know, together, exploring, adventuring, um, which is very much Luke and my route, right? That's how we met. Yeah, yeah. That's very much, we're gypsies at heart in that way. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, for us, it's very important to, to show the kids that. And, uh, and yeah, a fresh, absolutely fresh connection on different levels. Um, and it just, it just, kind of renews or recharges um yeah where you're just you're living <laughs> which is great but there can be little arcs don't you know arcs to that. <laughs> well you know what i love that piece too because i for a second i'd forgotten there i didn't make the connection you know that you, you and luke met through travel and travel is something that is interesting and exciting for you guys, right? And to be able to bring that aspect with you um, to the family and bring that to the family is awesome. And, you know, for some people who uh, maybe aren't as interested in travel, etc., but you can still, you can bring fresh um, environments and takes. You may just choose to do them in different ways. I know when the kids were young, we used to do <laughs> we do little vacation like weekends in into yeah. Toronto into the, into the city right and you just go you know stay one night at a hotel and and we just go visit maybe just walk around harbor front or cuz this yeah. this was different for them right from yeah. where we were living you know so it's fun to think about bringing just fresh freshness to your days every once in a while when you're feeling a need for that I just wanted to mention that, you know, in case people have been, you know, thinking that freshness meant, you know, yeah, having to make big changes or whatever. But, you know, there's so many ways to bring that in if, if that's something that you're feeling. Even, you know, even bringing it into your home if your kids aren't interested. Anyway, yeah, I, I just really liked that aspect of, of seeing your connections in new ways, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like we, the other, um, this summer we went to visit my parents and instead of driving, we took the train. Yeah. Just kind of, because it was fun and we could, and it was just something different instead mm-hmm. of being on the road, for, you know, in the car. Um, and it was fun. My kids don't get on the train often. So the whole time it was a wonderful experience and adventure. Uh, which meant nothing but just a different way of transport. <laughs> you know? Oh, yes. Yeah, see, brilliant. That's, that is a great example because we can get in our little ruts, for lack of a better word, just the way we always do things. You know, yeah. we always go to this library or we always go to this grocery store or we always drive to go visit our grandparents. You know, there are always ways to shake things up a little bit if if that would be fun, right? Yeah. And and so often it it just fresh go back to fresh it it just brings like a fresh aspect to the day it's like oh look I have to go find this somewhere different everybody's just got kind of new eyes on what could be a more mundane experience right yeah thanks Liza I love that perspective always inviting the kids to come along 
and how amazing and connecting travel has been for them. I vicariously enjoyed peeking in on a couple of their family vacations through social media, and it looks like a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed this deeper dive into the transition from control-based parenting tools to focusing on connection and consent. It really is a life-changing paradigm shift for the whole family. And then the fun really begins. This is where so much fun and learning bubbles up naturally. Focus on your relationships with your children and the learning naturally follows. If you're curious about that, check out episode 148, The Value of Relationships for Learning. And remember to have fun. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.